You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network, as we come to you today for our final film review for the Oscars, and our final episode as well. We're going to combine this with our Oscar preview and prediction episode. We are looking at the movie that is Joker, 11 nominations, the most nominations of any film, a movie that we've covered before, but today we're covering it differently because we're going to bring you spoilers in this episode. I'm going to say that straight away. Spoilers will be in this episode, so if you haven't seen Joker and you don't want to be spoiled that Joaquin Phoenix becomes the Joker, then don't listen to this episode because there will probably be some other more serious uh, spoilers in this episode along the way. My name is Ben and... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just listened to 007 and we're comedic geniuses. Uh, my name is Colin and knock, knock. Who's there? It's the police, ma'am. Your son's been hit by a drunk driver and he's dead. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that as hard as I just did. Uh, <laughs> it's it's Joker. Um, this is a movie that you and I saw separately. I mean, we, we technically always see all movies separately. We live in different countries, but... <laughs> In, in the fact that I saw this, uh, did a review with Mallory, then I think you saw it a couple of weeks later, um, we were planning on possibly doing an extra episode similar to what we did with Shazam because uh, we both enjoyed it and wanted to talk about it, but um, you saved it for here. Here we are. And what a movie. I don't know if you rewatched this uh, at all uh, after seeing it no. in the movies. Um, I did, and it... <laughs> Still blows my mind how good this movie is, but I want to hear your thoughts. I haven't heard your full thoughts except for the top ten episode we did last year, but on a longer episode of Joker. Well, I just want to say I, I I'm upset that we have such a short Oscar season here for two reasons. I mean, one, we're combining episodes because we're in a rush to get them done. We literally started recording these things as soon as the nominations came out, and now the Oscars are here. Um, but also, I really wanted to rewatch this, and I haven't had a chance just because I've been catching up on parasite and fortress ferrari and everything else um my initial reaction when i left this was you know i i thought it was a brilliant movie but i'm like i i think that this is one of these movies that you really need to see a second time just because there is so much it's not that you would pick up more the second time i think this is a very basic movie you know it's not hard to follow there's some twists along the way but it's it's later it's so so much of a slow burn in some ways that you get it on the first viewing but it's so um, – everybody's opinion is different on this, and I, I think that's the main thing. And I'm definitely not questioning my opinion. Like I love this movie. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was fantastic. But it's just – it's so full. Like the, the ending especially is so powerful that you feel like you need a second viewing just just to put it in perspective because you're just you're so blown away the first time you see this movie unless you're one of those people who reacts negatively to it and they're definitely it's fair to say that you know a lot of people out there you're just so blown away that you're like you know I I don't know I think I need to look at this more objectively and and really that's sort of been where I've been sitting since this came out what like two or three months ago now mm. um I just I, I'm still in that mindset of you know is this movie as strong as it it played to me the first time I saw it? Or is it just, it's such a shock the first time you see it that, you know, you you just can't get over that. And maybe it's, it's just another movie. I'm still not sure if I had a chance to rewatch it, you know, I might have a different opinion uh, for better or worse, but you know, that'll kind of come when we get to our rankings, how this could affect that. I, as soon as I saw it, I wanted to see it again. Um, And so I, I, yeah, I think I completely agree with you. And when I sort of rewatched this, uh, I was, 
going to wonder how I was going to react. And I mean, I think I reacted like it, obviously the first time you see it, it's a lot different because again, it's, you know, the first time you've seen it. So you're blown away from everything. The second time you're watching things a little bit differently, but I, I mean, I enjoyed it just as much the second time around. I think that, um, some of these interpretations and that of this movie, which we'll obviously talk about, hence a lot of the reason why we're going to talk about this is more of a spoiler episode because it, it is one of those movies where some people interpret it one way. Some people, you know, are reading into certain ways it ends and kind of what does that mean for it and everything. So, uh, but it's just, it is one of those movies. Like the way you guys were talking about Parasite yesterday, and I mean, I probably sounded a little bit more disrespectful around that. I got caught in the moment. No, it was back. It was a great old time. And then he went off and didn't get a date. But anyway, um, I think... <laughs> Like, you guys obviously were, you know, affected a lot differently from that movie than I was. But, like, Joker was one of these movies, and similar to what we talked about in 1917, that I just, I really felt, like, an emotional effect coming out of the cinema. Because it just, it was such a a powerful piece of cinema that really stayed with me. And there's only a handful of movies that I've seen in my life that really have that experience. I'm so glad I saw this on the big screen. Because, yeah, as you said, it's it's a simple movie, but it's just the way it's made, kind of just the performance from Joaquin Phoenix, it's just everything just stays with you. And it's a very confronting movie. It's a disturbing movie in some parts, but I think that just adds to the levels of it. And, I mean, Mallory, of course, said in her, the episode that, like, she said it was a brilliantly made movie, but it just wasn't her type of movie and she doesn't want to ever see it again, and that's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, God, this, this even on a second watch, I think it still hits strikes a chord emotionally where you're just like, wow, that, that's a movie that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. You know, when, when Jamie and I left this, I mean, she was even more positive on it than I was. And, again, I have no negative things to say. It was just it's a lot to take in. Uh, and she was like, that's one of the best movies I think I've ever seen. And I, I think the next day is when I listened to your uh, review you did with Mallory. And the funny thing is, like, she was on the exact opposite end. She's like, you know, I, I, I was uncomfortable during this movie. I never want to watch it again. And yet she still, I think, was leaning towards, even though she binned it, she was still leaning towards, this is the type of movie that you should be buying. But it's mm. just, it's not something I could ever bring myself to watch again. And I remember hearing that review and being like, it's actually a fair opinion both ways, whether you love this movie or hate it. And that's why it's funny that I've I've heard several people. I, I, I talked to one person who said, I'm not going to see that because several people I worked with saw it and hated it and said it was terrible. And I'm like, well, I don't know how anybody could say it's terrible. And then I talked to somebody else who said, you know, I just watched it over the weekend and I really didn't like it for this reason and this reason. And I don't think you can argue the point one way or the other. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this is that it's it's – a movie that is not for the time period we're in, not just the, um, the the setting of it being in the 70s, but I just mean the whole feel of this. And uh, I've mentioned on other episodes, I think everybody's mentioned at this point, I mean, this is almost like a perfect tribute to when Scorsese made good movies and not The Irishman, you know? <laughs> uh, this is Taxi Driver. It is King of Comedy. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a total throwback, but... There's a ton of people who will go and try to make a vintage movie, make something that is an homage to a past director or, you know, past type of genre. And it'll maybe be too obvious. This feels 100 percent like it could have been plucked out of 1976, 19, you know, uh, 79 Martin Scorsese or that whole, you know, uh, that, that, that whole scene that that New York uh, gritty, dark crime drama uh, and it would fit in 100%. Like if you were to degrade the quality of this movie, you could convince somebody it was made in the late 70s. And it's weird because the negative reactions I'm seeing people have 
I don't think anybody would have these reactions in the 70s. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that the subject matter, it is something that's touchier for people now. Uh, maybe because we've been, you would think we're in a society where we're desensitized. I actually think in terms of what we see in movies, we're probably sensitized more now. Mm. And some of the things we're seeing here, it pales into comparison to what Taxi Driver shows. And yet people are so caught off guard by this. I even talked to one person who said, you know, I think it's almost irresponsible. This will encourage more shootings in movie theaters and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, but like that never happened in 1976 after Taxi Drive. Well, you could <laughs> I, I take that back because there was a guy who shot a president and cited Taxi Driver. But the, the whole point is that it wasn't controversial to see this in the 70s because everybody was making movies like this in the 70s and early 80s. And now we have more violence in movies in a comical way, but there's not like this realistic violence where it is, as you said, very confronting, very shocking. Uh, it's meant to make you think. And in the 70s, everybody was doing it, so it didn't feel unusual, and now nobody's doing it. So I think you can give this movie credit for the same reasons that some people will walk away saying, I didn't like it. Yeah, and it's it's interesting with a lot of those opinions. Um you know, a lot of people are saying that this kind of bleeds into those, um, what are they called, incels or whatever that um, culture is online that they reckon it's kind of what, angry white guys? Oh, yeah. Are they incels? You know what I'm talking about. And kind of mm-hmm. just, it is the day we live in, I think, where kind of everyone always has to read things a little bit too much and make it into a gender and do all this and do all that. Um which again, look, it, it's an interesting discussion point and sure, so there's some maybe valid points made out there, but I think... It is a, a very unique film in that, you know, as we've kind of mentioned a few times, you interpret it in many ways. And that's what I... We talked about that in Parasite, I guess, yesterday. I interpreted it one way, you guys interpret another. I mean, that's what a good movie does. Yeah. It, it makes you think. It makes you kind of read things a different way. And this is all made by a guy who made the Hangover trilogy. So, <laughs> uh, not to take away from the Hangover trilogy, one and a half of them were good. Um, but... <laughs> You know, I mean, this is Todd Phillips. I mean, we were talking about a family yeah. brother last year. Uh, this is Todd Phillips. So it, it's incredible to think that. Um, and, and also another thing too, which I think has, I don't know if it's got lost along the way. I feel like I talked a little bit about this last year in our initial review, but I remember when I first heard this movie was being made, I got actually quite annoyed because I'm a big DC EU fan. I love the DC Extended Universe, and I kind of I love what they've done with it. I'm the one person, along with you, that seems to defend yeah. it. Um, so when they made the announcement, this was being made, but it's not connected. It's kind of in the what do they call it, the DC Dark series or something like that. It's kind yeah. of there, but it's separate. I'm like, well, what the hell? Like you're fucking with your own continuity already. This makes sense. This is stupid. I don't like this. Fuck you, DC. Um, but. I mean, it just it works so bloody good that I'm kind of like, okay, give me more. <laughs> but also yeah. give me more DCEU films. There's really two opinions I have on that. The, the first is um, that I think this does connect in a way. I mean, it takes place obviously in the 70s and, you know, there's the thing about Bruce Wayne. If you match up the timeline, because we do see Bruce Wayne in this movie. He's a minor character. It may be the one thing that, you know, I'm not going to say it to me it felt tacked on. I think it works in the movie, but you could have taken it out and had just as effective a movie. But the age at least matches up with the Bruce Wayne we're going to see, you know, uh, in the True. Batman vs. Superman Justice League and everything. Uh, and this movie, it doesn't end in a way where you're like, this is the Joker. The way I walked away from this movie and interpreted the ending is this is a guy that potentially 
inspires the Joker we're going to see later on. Because it's not like it ends in people like, this is the Joker, and you know I'm going to uh, be your arch nemesis, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. It's nothing like that. It just sort of ends, and you're like, well, here's a guy, especially because the whole climax, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit, it really happens on TV. You see this as a figure that could potentially inspire the Joker or Jokers we're going to see later on. Mm. So even though it's 100% a standalone movie and it doesn't directly tie into those, you could interpret it that it ties in because it's a different character. The second part being that I think a lot of people you know, were excited just because of Joaquin Phoenix's attachment. But the idea of making a Joker origin story, nobody wants. The comics have done some Joker origin stuff. And people tend to accept it in comics, but not so much in movies. But a lot of the arguments were, I don't need an origin story of the Joker. The Joker is so much more interesting not knowing where he comes from. And again, I think that's where this movie really works because if you if you do interpret it the way I interpret it, that this is just an, a potentially an inspiration for the Joker we're going to see later on, then you don't have to say this is a Joker origin story. It is a Joker inspiration story. And the second part being because they're not directly saying it's connected to the others, you could just view this as a movie about a guy called the Joker. Uh, that was one of the complaints somebody said, said to me you know, this week. They're like, you know, I – feel like they just called this a joker because they wanted to it didn't need to be connected to dc at all but i'm like in a way i think that's what works because if you made this this is the joker's origin story whether you want to have it be a new joker or reboot a different universe or whatever then you are going to have those people complaining saying well that's not the way i think the joker started Hmm. but this movie plays in a way where it doesn't force it down your throat. This is the Joker's origin. It's like, this is a story called Joker and it doesn't need to be connected to the others. It's kind of like we talked about that with Solo, didn't we? Where it's kind of like people are like, well, I don't really need a Solo, Han Solo background story. Like we get mm-hmm. a bit in a new hope and that's it. And kind of a lot of people complain that. And I think, yeah, you make some very good points there. And I think I've, I don't read, so I've never read the comics and I've, you know, some of the materials I've seen in that saying about how, yeah, the, the Joker's background is very open-ended. And I mean, this is a movie you can literally take the word Joker away, as you said, and kind of just call this, you know, Joaquin and just make it about a crazy guy who kind of, you know, does yeah. <laughs> this and then it's going to, it's going to have the same effect. Like you have a couple of, he's a Wayne, he's Bruce Wayne, you know, and things like that. But um, I would be fascinated if they eventually were like, Hey, yep, this actually is part of the DCEU. And it's kind of like, yep, you know, mm-hmm. it all ties in because you could make it work. You could, uh, because I know a lot of people have said. Well, imagine, this- I was just gonna say, imagine seeing Jared Leto reappear, and he's watching a YouTube video of some old clip from the Robert De Niro show or whatever where this happens, and, and he's just sort of laughing at that. You know, that's an easy way to tie it in where it's part of the same universe, but it's not that Joker's origin. And it, I mean, it, it's done in a way where, like, it, there, yeah, there, there it is. There's two little retcons you can make and tie it in. That's it. That's all you need to do. Um, mm-hmm. Because pff, I don't know how they're doing it when it comes to this, you know, the Batman with Robert Pattinson. Because I mean, what that's meant to be set in the '90s or something? Is it? Is that still meant to be connected? Like, this is the thing with the DCU. As much as we defend it, they are very all over the place in terms of what they're doing with their timeline. Uh, so, you know. Well- I, I think, you know, there's been some reports coming out, especially because they're delaying the Flashpoint movie for no reason whatsoever. Uh, the Flashpoint story in the comics was really about, you know, alternate universes and stuff like that. And we were just talking off air about what DC did in the TV, uh, uh, the TV world with the crisis on Infinite Earths, where they found a way to tie in not just all these different TV shows that don't even technically take place in the same Earth, but Superman Returns and, um, you know, Smallville. And, you know, they... they even you know, go as far as to now bring in 
a character. I don't want to spoil that for people, but they bring in a, a character from the DC movies and okay, this is now somehow tied because you could have all these different universes and everything. I think the idea might end up being that, you know, uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman is potentially a different universe, you know, a different earth. And that the Flashpoint storyline is going to bring these together. Because in the Flashpoint comics, Batman is sort of the other main character. So it would be a perfect opportunity if they're intentionally delaying Flashpoint until after the Batman. That we could have Robert Pattinson and Ben Affleck in the same movie. Mm, that'd be Yeah, that'd be a really good idea. Because it's interesting that... I mean, I know we're kind of going on a bit of a tangent just with DC stuff, but I mean, you know, you hear so many conflicting reports, like Henry Cavill was out, but then he's back in, and then I don't think mm-hmm. Ben Affleck... Has Ben Affleck ever officially commented saying, like, I'm done, I'm not playing him anymore? I don't think he has. No. Um, yeah, both him and Cavill just said, you know, we're not doing a movie right now, we're doing another project. Ben Affleck's case is another project rehab, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> still, they're just stepping away for the time. Henry Cavill even came out the other day and directly addressed it and said, a lot of people have said, I'm done with Superman. I'm not. I just yeah. haven't made a decision yet and it's also too i think even jared leto a lot of people i just i watched a video the other day basically saying that jared leto is angry about walking phoenix and all this sort of stuff but i even think jared leto has kind of said like i'm not done with oh. it like you know i mean again let's just further proof that jared leto the, the guy who criticized suicide squad and then admitted he didn't watch it at the premiere <laughs> he's like oh i can't believe they cut all my scenes did you see the movie no and now he's like, oh, I can't believe they made this Joaquin Fix. If you watch the movie, you'll realize it is not about your character. <laughs> Can we just I, – I mean, I didn't mind. I like Jared Leto in The Suicide. Can we just get rid of that guy because he doesn't watch his own movies? <laughs> Isn't he in a Marvel movie now? Uh, well, he's, yeah, he's got Morbius coming out, which is kind of like Venom spinoff. Right. Okay. Cool. Anyway, uh, by the way, uh, Birds of Prey coming out this weekend. Uh, stay tuned for our yes. spoiler-free review because I don't know about you, but I'm seeing it on the weekend. But anyway mm-hmm. – um, God, we're t- sidetracked. I, I think, uh, I, I, I mean, we're here for a spoiler review and we've, we've been talking now for about 20 minutes and we haven't even talked about any spoilers. Uh, so the Joker dies. Uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I mean, the biggest question about this movie, and I think even a lot of interviewers have tried to get it out of Todd Phillips, is, is this movie real? Or is this whole thing in um, Arthur Fleck's head, basically? Yeah. Uh, which... Again, I love, I love the fact that you kind of have this because the ending of him in this mental asylum, it's kind of meant to make you believe that the whole thing was in his head. We obviously have a whole plot of this movie. Well, two really, I guess, when he's having the dream sequence of him uh, initially on Robert De Niro's show. And then we have this whole thing around the, the love interest in the movie kind of showing that it was all in his head. So that's the thing. Todd Phillips, I don't think, is confirmed either way. And as any good director should, he shouldn't. Because, again, this is the point of this movie. Um, do you take it one way or the other? I mean, I completely interpret it as that it is real. Uh, I think they they showed earlier on uh, with uh, his neighbor. Um, I can't remember her name. The, the girl from Deadpool. Uh, that, you know, he was imagining something and it turned out that, you know, he thought he was in a relationship with her, but then she's like, hi, what's your name? You know? Uh, and that that wasn't real. But I think my only reasoning for thinking that this absolutely has to be a real event that he really does, you know, uh, shoot the talk show host or whatever is because that's something that would so cheapen this movie. Uh, this movie is about mental illness as, as much as it's just about, you know, this, this incredible, uh, you know, origin story or crime story or whatever you want to call it. And to say this is all in his head, it has no impact anymore on the end, which is why I think even, even if that was his intention where it was in, like, I don't think we'll ever get an answer because why, if you've got people debating one side or the other, why are you going to spoil that? Yeah. Uh, but 
I can't see this ending holding any weight if you were to say, oh, yeah, it was all in his head. You know, this this movie works because he does something so shocking. His mind has gone so far that he does something so shocking, so violent, so despicable that he's not necessarily redeemable. You know, whether you consider he's not redeemable, you know, morally or just mentally, he's no longer redeemable. That is the point of the movie. And I think you lose all of that if it's just in his head. I completely agree. And I think it's, I mean, to tie it into shows that we do cover, or at least are taking a break from at the moment, Lost. It's kind of, people interpret the ending of Lost in many different ways. I think there's a clear-cut answer how you interpret Lost. I think it's been explained. That's the difference, Mm -hmm. maybe, between here and Joker. But still, 10 years later, people are like, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Um, But yeah, I, I also believe that, like, everything happened. Um, and it's just, yeah, because it, it's just, it did turn it into that everything was a dream kind of thing, doesn't it? Where it's like, well, yeah, what the hell was the point of me watching all of that? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's such a great way of ending it, I think. And just like the confronting nature of this movie, I think kind of the, the two key scenes really is the one where he's uh, in the apartment and he kills the guy, like stabs him yeah. in the face about a hundred times and smashes his head against the wall. And then obviously the shooting of um, Murray Franklin on on the TV because that was sort of all built up to thinking that he was going to kill himself and then ultimately Mm -hmm. he didn't. Um, Just, you know, incredibly, incredibly confronting Um, and just, just... Yeah, I don't know how how you reacted. I think Mallory nearly walked out of the cinema. I think in the first one when mm-hmm. he was just like getting the guy's head bashed up against the wall. Because yeah, it's 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 kind of pl- plays into what we talked about in the Irishman and a few other one of these recaps where it's it's just that that almost realistic violence where it's not over the top and kind of fake movie yeah. violence. This is this is how I I feel this would legitimately seem in real life if you were experiencing this. Yeah, we, we've had three movies uh, just out of these Best Picture nominees that we've said the same thing on, that it, it presents violence in a way where it's not cartoony. It doesn't feel like a movie. It just looks different. It feels more real, and it catches you off guard. Irishman, Parasite, and Joker. And uh, you know, I'll say the same thing I said in those episodes. I think that we've stumbled across this new way of shocking an audience and they haven't been shocked before. In the case of Joker, what's weird about what works about the uh, – especially the the uh, talk show shooting at the end of the movie, which is really the climax. Like you said, you're expecting he's going to kill himself. Uh, but it's just the fact that they did it on a TV show. Mm. And anybody can watch a movie and see somebody kill somebody in a dressing room or on the street. And you've seen every movie do that. But because the, the way that it's visually even presented, a lot of the times when you're seeing this, you're seeing it – on a TV screen, you're seeing what it would look like if you were watching this on TV. And because we've never seen, uh, you know, uh, let's say a massive killing like that in a movie that's showing, it sounds very complicated, but when a movie is showing a killing on a TV screen, it's something you can identify with more. And so many directors are probably like, well, how would you identify, how would you make this killing so shocking that the audience would instantly identify with it? Well, what if it was a home invasion, you know, because everybody's in their home, but because you've seen that before, it's not going to work. And I can't think of any other instances where we're seeing a shooting, a violent act on a TV show, especially a setting like a late night talk show where you wouldn't expect something like that to happen. And then to actually go as far as to visually film it at, from the talk show point of view, we're not seeing you know, a, an off-camera shot where the cameramen are visible and everything. Even when it is on the big screen, you're not just seeing a monitor. You're seeing what the camera in the studio would have been. And I think everybody's watched TV and probably at one point or another has seen something, you know, uh, a, 
I'm not going to call them bloopers, but maybe, you know, something that shouldn't happen, you know, like a person getting hit by a car, or, you know, like disturbing videos from war scenes and everything. Like, everybody's seen something like that where you're just like, you know, what you're about to see, it may disturb some of you. And this is an example where it's like it's a live viewing and they show the whole thing and then they cut immediately afterwards in a way, weird way. It's the most brilliant way that you can make an audience identify with it. And you're not putting the audience in any position other than what if you were the one watching this on TV? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think kind of just even the way you have that scene and kind of you've just got the reaction of the people on the couch and the screaming. And then even when they just kind of show the broadcast and kind of cut to the technical difficulties, please stand by sort of thing. And then Mm -hmm. the way that kind of intersects with the reaction outside, it's just, it's just brutal. And it's just, and this again, Joaquin Phoenix, just holy crap. Um, Yeah. I mean, everything in the lead. And the thing that he does so well in this movie is he, basically plays two characters because kind of you just got the the way Arthur Fleck begins straight through to the Joker like you know watch a scene from the beginning of this movie with that scene at the end of the couch I mean that scene on the couch alone deserves to give him an Oscar I mean we're we're talking about Scarlett Johansson you know getting nominated for for 10-15 minutes or so in Jojo Rabbit and sort of, you know, you defended that a little bit more than I did. But, I mean, gosh, that one sequence of him just sitting on the couch and the way he sort of has a back and forth with Robert De Niro before shooting it and just facial reactions, body reactions, just everything about it is just mm-hmm. absolutely... And, look, he is one of the greatest actors of our time, Joaquin Phoenix. And the fact that yeah. he hasn't got an Oscar until now, because he will win for this, and if he doesn't, then I will ride even more than I did with bloody Glenn Close <laughs> last year... Um, it's just it just baffles me. People talked about Leonardo DiCaprio deserving one, and oh, finally he got one. Where is this same love for Joaquin Phoenix? This guy just is incredible. How he transforms himself into any movie role he's ever in, and this is just the epitome of a, an Academy Award-winning performance, just second to none. So amazing. I remember the trailer coming out, and Jamie, who of course loved this movie. Uh, saying to me, that movie looks so stupid. That guy is so miscast as the Joker. And I'm like, do you know anything about Joaquin Phoenix? She says, no, I don't. I, I mentioned a couple of movies, Gladiator. Okay, I know that, but I don't think he looks like the Joker. I'm like, let me show you a couple of clips. I show her the David Letterman clip, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Completely out of context. And then I show her some of the rap clips. And then I'm like, do you realize that he spent a year not letting anybody in on the joke that he was playing a character? He had people convinced that he had literally lost his mind. And he did this for a year just for the sake of a movie that he was going to make no money on. It was it was a favor to his brother-in-law. And I'm like, this guy lived <laughs> the performance. But this is before I ever saw The Joker, uh, like the movie. This was just the trailer. I'm like, this guy, he is the perfect guy for this movie. And it is funny that he's not one of these names that's thrown around very often. And yet every time he's in something, it's like, wow, it's you're, it's just jaw-dropping, you know, how how good he is. Um, you know, with this performance here, I think that the most interesting thing about it is that he's always – it's always very unnerving watching him. Like you get this unnerving feeling watching, especially on the talk show at the end. Like you know something's going to happen. And yet I'm not going to say that he comes across as charming in this movie. But – there's something about him that that feels more innocent. And I actually think that in some cases that could work against the movie because when you're going to have a character go down a dark path and essentially be the villain at the end, I don't like it when you make the audience sympathize with them too much. But the greatest thing with this is that we don't really sympathize with them. We, we, we understand the character. We, I, I guess in a way we kind of sympathize with him just for the way he is where you're 
like I kind of feel bad for this guy, but yet his actions are sort of the opposite. So you, you're sort of caught in the middle through the entire movie of whether you feel for this guy and want him to get help or whether you're genuinely scared of him but don't know why because outside of the end of the movie, what we talk about two big killings in this movie, I remember telling people afterwards, I'm like, this movie's getting so much criticism for how violent it is. You have less than five minutes of violence, maybe 10 tops in a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. It is so minimal what we see, but what you see in those five or ten minutes is really extreme. But even when we're not seeing those violent acts, you just know there's something wrong with this guy. And it, I can't think of any other actor that can do that. You know, think about some great actors out there like Leonardo DiCaprio or you know one of our favorites, Sam Rockwell. You know, mm-hmm. they would bring something different to the role. They would maybe be too charming, and he had this innocence about him, but wasn't charming in any way. And he didn't spend one moment of this movie. I honestly don't believe he spent one moment of this movie thinking about awards or anything else like that. He's just like, this is going to be the most interesting character I've ever played since I played myself being crazy. And it's something about the character of the Joker, isn't it? That just really just transcends into something else. Because the interesting Mm -hmm. fact I saw about this is that, uh, I mean, 11 nominations. We'll talk about them in a minute. Clearly, Joaquin will win it the best actor and maybe it might pick up best original score possibly. Um, but it should at least win one Oscar. Now, every single movie featuring the Joker with the exception of the 1966 Batman film has won an Oscar. Uh, Batman mm. won best art direction in 1989. Of course, the dark Knight uh, won best supporting actor, Heath Ledger suicide squad won a, what was it? Visual effects or art direct something. It won something. Um, mm. And Joker, uh, will win one as well. And it's just... I think I Batman mean, Begins even won cinematography its year. Oh, there you go. But you, you think you think about any other character in media, like when you talk about these villains and iconic characters, and you always get your, you know, best James Bond, who, who was the best James Bond list, you know, who was the best Spider-Man list, you know, certain ones. But there's always that who was the best Joker list. Yeah. And now you've kind of got... I mean, let's be honest, so the four main ones, I mean, I, I'm sort of 50-50 on Jared Leto. But, I mean, you think about Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, now Joaquin Phoenix as these live-action Jokers who are just everybody. It just Do we have another character in movie history where kind of they're almost, each of them are so good in their own roles? I mean, even every James Bond, I don't think, kind of can mm-hmm. fill that void as well. Uh, and then even then in the animated series, of course, Mark Hamill's up there as one of the best yeah. interpretations of it as well. Like, I don't think we've got any other character in... in any form of movies that kind of you have almost a perfection from every actor who's played them. Yeah. And you know, now people will look back and say, well, Jack Nicholson's was campy, but like that was the comic books. That's, that's actually closer than anything Heath Ledger or Joaquin Phoenix did, but still you will still have people saying, I think Jack Nicholson was the best. And it's hard to argue against Heath Ledger, but it is completely different character. And how can you take a character that is just a guy who paints his face like a clown and goes around killing people and, you know, committing all these violent crimes and just causing chaos, a character that probably more than any other villain in the history of comic books has no real backstory or motive and create all these different variations of the character that have so much depth to them without telling you, like in The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger only gives hints towards his backstory. And even then, you're like, he could have just been telling a story. I mean, he basically does tell the same story three different ways. So you think he could just be making it up. In this movie, again, it's not really an origin of the Joker. You know, it's it's an origin of a guy who, you know, calls himself Joker and maybe looks like the Joker, but may not be the Joker. 
they've gotten so much depth out of these without a lot of source material and usually without giving a lot away in the movie. Um, if I have a personal preference, I mean, I'm going to go with Joaquin Phoenix now, even though I think Heath Ledger's performance is incredible. Uh, for the, for the reason that a lot of people are criticizing this movie on, and again, we're t I talked about how I feel like this is a movie out of the right time period, and that's why people are misunderstanding it, because when everybody's talking about you know that it's in endorsing violence or it's going to encourage violence and stuff like that, that's sort of the complaint I have about The Dark Knight, and I never had that before the the Dark Knight Rises shootings where that the Colorado guy you know uh, shot mm -hmm. everybody in the movie theater, which was okay. It's hard to argue you know that the Batman movies caused that. Uh, that's not an argument I'm making here, but the fact is after that came out, I rewatched all the Batman movies again and dark Knight was the only one that I found that the villain was in a way glorifying the violence he was making because they do make him maybe too entertaining of a character. Uh, and because he does win in the end, I, I think just the way that people gravitated towards Heath Ledger's portrayal it was, oh, I love the Joker, you know, oh, I love the the whole chaos thing. And I can see how that, I'm not saying that this will happen, I, I can see how that movie would possibly encourage violence. I don't see that with this movie at all. Uh, I see this as the exact opposite. I see that, especially the way we talked about the way the violence is filmed, it's, it's meant to make everybody feel uncomfortable. Uh, and part of that is just that we haven't seen stuff like this in decades, but the other part is that it was clearly the intention that they they wanted you to feel sick to your stomach watching this movie. I love this movie. I felt sick to my stomach watching it. Jamie, on the other hand, <laughs> during the first killing, you talk about the apartment shooting where there's these two former coworkers who come, and you know he he brutally kills the one guy, and then they cut to the other guy who just has this look on his face. Jamie bursts out laughing in the movie theater. I'm like, Jamie, that's the most inappropriate <laughs> to laugh at a movie because I think you guys talked in your review about people inappropriate uh, inappropriately responding to it. That was no. I, I know that wasn't, but yeah. I, I remember saying to you afterwards, I'm like, you you guys talked about inappropriate laughing. Here's what Jamie did. <laughs> yeah. But it's, even still, she she recognized like this is a movie that's supposed to make you feel ill, and that is the big difference to me between the Jack Nicholson Joker, the Heath Ledger Joker, which in a way you are supposed to root for, or at least you're supposed to enjoy more. There is nothing about this character or what he does you're supposed to enjoy. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think like I. I think I mentioned at the end of our last one that I probably would rank Joaquin Phoenix just ahead if I had to do it. And But again, I think you said it there. They're very different interpretations, and that's what's so great about Joker. And look, I know a lot of people who still love J um, Jack Nicholson. I, I've never been a huge fan of the Tim Burton Batman films. I'm not a big Tim Burton fan in general. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I think they're both a little overrated. They're fine. I don't dislike them, but that's yeah. kind of where I come from. And I, I remember seeing Jack Nicholson going, okay, sure, I get it. But, like, it's to me... He's not in the top two for me. <laughs> um, I don't know if he's mm -hmm. ahead of Jared Leto. I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing. I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. But, um, again, different times. Uh, it's no different to, um, you know, how, say, you and I talked a lot about during the Spider-Man films that we're big fans of kind of these kind of campy comic book movies like the Spider-Man movies that don't have to be all connected and they're only standing on their own two feet. This has taken sort of what Batman begins to a whole new level with that really gritty, realistic look at something. So, mm -hmm. again, everyone has their way of liking a comic book movie. We've got, what, 20 different styles out there, essentially, when you mm -hmm. think of, you know, your Sin Cities and your Watchmen's and things like that as well. So, everyone has a, a style they like. And, you know, some people are going to like Joker style. Some people are going to like Batman style from 1989. Um but yeah, it's, I mean, that's the beauty of movies and comic book movies. And this is what now the second 
ever comic book movie to get nominated for Best Picture, am I not mistaken? Up yeah, because Black Panther, Panther kind of did. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this got a director nomination too. So, I mean... I, I really I don't I don't like to modern movies when you have past five best picture nominees. I don't think it really counts if you get a best picture nomination because any other year could have done that. It just didn't. So I think you really look at if you got a best picture nomination and a best director nomination like that is now the gold standard. So I don't think Black Panther. I don't you know, it's funny because um, uh, the same person I was talking to said that they, you know, didn't like this movie because it didn't need to be all the Joker and that maybe it would encourage violence and stuff. They were saying, yeah, I think the DC was just chasing to be that first superhero movie to get an Oscar nomination. I'm like, well, Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. And they're like, did it? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, it's yeah. already so, a year later. It's already sort of been forgotten because it was never really in the mix. It was sort of let's give it, you know, the the, the novelty nomination. This is and uh, throw it a bone. But this is, even though I don't think it has any chance of winning Best Picture, this is one of those five movies that is considered like the the real Best Picture nominees. Well, we've got 11 nominations for Joker, which I mean, look, I think this is safe to say the most ever nominations for a comic book movie ever. Um, oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, look, I don't know how many Black Panther got last year. And obviously, generally, comic book movies will get the technical categories uh, with a few mm-hmm. exceptions for acting. I mean, was Heath Ledger the first to get one for acting in a comic book movie? For acting, yeah. Yeah, uh, and have we had any since besides Joaquin? No, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Mm, there you go. I mean, a lot of people could argue there should have been other ones along the way, but, um, you know, maybe they're finally starting to change their way a little bit. But, yeah, 11 nominations, I mean, that's that's a lot. And this was a movie that a lot of people didn't like. This this wasn't critically lauded. Like, this had a lot of critics who disliked this movie. So it's kind of a lot of people were surprised that it did get as many as it did, but it, it got the most. Uh, having said that, it's probably not going to win anywhere near 11. Um, no. So the ones it got nominated for, we've obviously mentioned Best Picture, Best Director for Todd Phillips, Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix, of course, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, then it got Best Original Score, Best Sound Mixing, Sound Editing, Cinematography, Makeup and Hairstyling, Costume Design, and Film Editing. I think it's only chances are probably, I mean, actors are lock. And I still think yeah. it's in with a shot at original score. Uh, outside of that, I don't see this winning anything else. What about you? Yeah, no, I I, I think both of those categories are locks for it. Um, I, an argument can be made for makeup just because the makeup they created for the Joker is so iconic. But like outside of the Joker, what other makeup do you have in here? I mean, you give Robert De Niro false teeth. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it. Uh, but and false just, comedy. <laughs> but. Um, it would be a fair argument to say that, you know, while these other movies may have had more complex makeup design, uh, did they create anything that looked as iconic as Joker, where, you know, regardless of your feelings about this movie, everybody can identify Joaquin Phoenix's makeup in the Joker now. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Another thing with the Jokers, of course, each each of those four that we talked about have a very distinct look. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you see people dressing up as the Joker. I mean, Heath Ledger's iconic look, Jack Nicholson's. Jared Leto's is very iconic with the way he's got, you know, tattoos and kind of the Frankenstein thing going on uh, and the braces. And then obviously you've now got Joaquin. So I, I like that too, that they've made each of them look visually different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, actually looking at that, and we'll talk about these categories very soon, but the makeup and hairstyling, um, I mean, gosh, that's, <sighs> we've seen what, two of those movies? <laughs> Don't know if you've seen yeah. Judy yet. I've seen the trailers. <laughs> I saw the trailer from Maleficent. Maleficent. Uh, that movie we covered the first part of earlier in the year. 
God, did we? I keep forgetting we covered that movie. Sorry, everyone, that we did that movie. Uh, I apologise that we. I wish time. I could forget. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that those are the two. I think we're both in agreement. Uh, but you know, the score. I, I think I mentioned that when we talked about 1917. I think it was about the score. Um, or was it Marriage yeah. Story? One of them. Uh, but gosh, the score for this. I mean, this is half the reason why I think this mm-hmm. movie just sticks with you as well. It's just, it's haunting. It's just, it just stays with you. It just, it's that perfect score that really sh- helps you feel emotional just because you connect mm-hmm. it. Um, it's just, it's just so crazy good. Let's try and pronounce his name. Is it Hildor Guanadatia? Um, He's Icelandic. That's exactly what I was going to say. She's Icelandic. Sorry, I apologize. She's Icelandic. Um, <laughs> look at me being sexist there. But um, <laughs> incredible. I don't, I well, it's hear. not like anybody knows what the name Hildur is. But I assumed it was a man straight away. Come on now, Colin. Um, I I don't know if an Icelandic uh, person has ever been nominated for an Oscar before. I don't know if um, Björk has ever been nominated for an Oscar before. So go Iceland. I think she's going to win it. Um, she also did these. Oh, actually, she did a score for Chernobyl. I don't know if you watched Chernobyl. That's a pretty good score as well. So yeah. No, I was gonna say. Um, you know, even though she wasn't nominated, she uh was a performer on the the score for Sicario, which is one. There's another one of the movies from. If I went back, it I if remembered. I went back. It would have been on my best of the decade list. Uh, so uh, you know. There have been movies that she's been involved in, but as a composer, she's fairly new. But prior to that, you could see, you know, she did work in, um, you know, Sicario, obviously, and uh, The Revenant and uh, the, the Arrival and all that. So um, she's worked on some big movies. But, yeah, what the she did for the score for this movie, it's just it's iconic music without you know, any of it being catchy enough that you're like, oh, I want to snap my fingers to this. At times you wonder, am I listening to music or are they just creating some really creepy sound effect, you know? Mm. Uh, but yet you, you can't deny when you're watching it, like the music, it stands out so much and enhances the movie. And that's something that certainly The Rise of Skywalker didn't do, which uh, I'm <laughs> still debating whether that's the weakest score that we've gotten from John Williams. Three Star Wars movies in a row he's gotten nominated for and three Star Wars movies in a row were disappointed by the score. But, I mean, that, it would be my personal favorite, and I think that I, I can't see it losing uh, original score either. It's um, It's been a big year for old uh, Hilda. She's not even that old. She's um, she's only, what, 37. So, she uh, yeah, for, for Chernobyl, she swept everything she was nominated for there. Uh, Emmys, Golden Globe, uh, not Golden Globe, sorry, Grammy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she's she wins an Oscar. She only needs to win a t- uh, Tony, and she's got the EGOT. So... Good for yeah. you, Hilda. <laughs> but uh, yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, I'm guessing you're buying this movie. Oh yeah, easily buying this movie. It, it, where it will rank is the only thing. I, I've got a spot for it because I guess we've got to go through our final rankings here. But we do. Um, where it'll eventually rank. This is one of these things where I'm gonna give the disclaimer. If you ask me this question three months from now, when I know I've seen this movie again. It could be up or down. I don't know. But as for now, you know, I, I, I've got a firm spot for it off one viewing. Well, we're going to transition now, I guess, into um, our preview of the Oscars. And this isn't really going to be much. We've kind of gone over the films. We'll just really give our predictions, to be honest, and our final rankings here. Uh, do you want to do the final rankings now? Uh, and then we can go into our predictions and sort of mention anything else. Maybe we can also yeah. talk about some other non-Oscar winning, uh, non-Oscar nominated movies that we've seen during the year that we really enjoyed as well, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Let's go our rankings first here. Um, so, do we want to go from nine to one? Do we just want to each read it out in order? How do you want to do this? 
Uh, yeah, well, let's take turns going from nine to one. Okay, good to see our pre-production meeting involved this area. <laughs> uh, bringing up number nine, Little Women. Uh, okay, I have debated this back and forth. Uh, as I said, there's two who are sitting on the bottom, and I feel like this is something that that almost goes contrary to what I believe in. But oh, I'm actually no. putting Irishmen. Oh, I am. Uh, I'm putting <laughs> Irishmen at the bottom just because at least Little Women knew when to end the movie, and Irishmen. There is, I, I said it on the review episode, there are there's half an hour at the beginning that I think could easily be cut completely. Half an hour at the end could be easily cut. That's a huge chunk of the movie still, and there's just too much in that that does not work. Even though the stuff that was in it I enjoyed more, I would probably never go out of my way to watch it again. Little Woman, slightly superior, which also gives me my number eight. And when I'm right, it's actually Irishman as well, funnily enough. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, out of every single movie, I think um, of all these movies, I think the uh, Little Woman was the only one I've been. I think I bought everyone else, so every other film. So, um that's crazy. I think that this is by far the, the of the three years that we've done this. I think this has been my favorite year. I'll be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. twenty eighteen I thought was pretty good. Last year has been the weakest, um, but still we had some good movies last year, of course. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, just on that. So that means that at number what does that make it seven? Am I am I doing my math correctly there? Uh, I have the esteemed movie that is Jojo Rabbit. I mean, I I liked Jojo Rabbit. I just liked the other movies better because pretty much I bought the rest of them. I mean, I said kind of there was, what, four movies that I absolutely loved. Um, But, you know, sort of there's three that's kind of I liked, but I found more flaws in them. Uh, But, yeah, Jojo Rabbit for me at number seven. Uh, I'm actually going Ford versus Ferrari at number seven. Uh, Just as as I said on the review, I thought it was a very standard movie. It, you know, didn't really take any risks. I'd sort of seen that many times before, and it was just adequate. Uh, number six. You want to go number six, or do you want me to? How... I'll go so number six because you just said it. You just <laughs> said it. I'm going number six. Jojo Rabbit. Uh, really enjoyed the movie, just not as much as I enjoyed the ones higher than it. Uh, the one that will piss you and Noah off. I've got Parasite at number six. I enjoyed it. Oh. I did. I just didn't think it was as brilliant as both of you and some other people think it did. It was, and I, I liked five <laughs> other movies better than it. So yeah, Parasite. But if if you knew how to read and you understood what the subtitle <laughs> said, you could have had this higher. I know, right? Uh, it's just blurry lines on a screen for me. Uh, number so as five? I said, my oh uh, yeah, you, you as go. I said, my, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> Let me go. Um, We've only done thousands of these together. You think we'd eventually get how to do this? Uh, my number five, as I said, could go higher or lower if I see again. But I'm putting Joker like right in the middle. Oh wow! I thought you would have had that a lot higher. Interesting. Okay. Um, I have Ford v Ferrari at number five. I again similar to what I said. It's a good movie. The few flaws of it, but it's probably more of a Ben movie than a Colin movie. Um, and yeah, I think it's just an enjoyable, an enjoyable sports movie. So there mm-hmm. you go. Uh, I'll go next number four. And this was hard for me because again, now we're into that sort of top four where really I could put any of these at number one, any of these at number four. And like, I just, I hate seeing this so low because I love this movie, but I've got Marriage Story at number four. I think at the end of the day, it's a, the three above it really come down to ultimate rewatchability. And I would watch Marriage Story again, but if I'm just on a Saturday night and I want to kind of let my hair down and watch a movie, yeah, okay, Joker in 1917 are going to make me, you know, a bit more different than uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I don't know, I feel Marriage Story can be a little bit more depressing 
having said uh-huh. that to Joker in 1917, which aren't exactly all happy. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just... Uh, it, it's sad seeing it number four for such a great film. Um, I, I actually would have originally had Joker in this spot, but uh, we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, what, like, at the time we recorded this, two weeks ago now. Yeah. And every single day that passes, I keep thinking about the movie. I keep thinking about moments in that movie, even though... You know, I, I had some complaints when it first came out. I probably would still hold those some, same complaints, you know, if I were to rewatch it now or even we talk about it a year from now. But it's just every day that's passed, I, I'm more and more interested in this movie and interested in rewatching it. I, and I think that it's it's the best thing Quentin Tarantino has done since Kill Bill. There you go. Uh, number three, I've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, again, a bit of a slow burn, but then it kind of it just all clicks at the end. And you're like, fuck, I enjoyed that movie. And yeah, I I really need to go back and watch the Quentin Tarantino movies I haven't watched because I every time I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, I generally love it. Didn't like Kill Bill two that much, but still I I still liked it. So skip the hate plate. Okay. <laughs> Please skip the hate plate. I will skip um, the hate plate. <laughs> I'll watch Kill Bill uh, one, Kill Phil one and two instead. <laughs> go watch the hate plate. Um, but uh my number three is marriage story and uh like you said i almost feel like i want this higher just because i really it's the movie that caught me the most off guard that i've seen uh out of all these best picture nominees because i i wasn't sure if i was gonna love it if it was just be one of these things like you know ford versus ferrari or little women or irishman where it's like yeah you know i don't think i would have given it a best picture nomination but i love this movie and for a while until we got into my top two i was wondering if this could have walked away as like the best picture of the year for me but uh you know still the fact is that number three it's way higher than i thought it would be give me your number two my number two oh and i i even said it yesterday i'm almost at a tie for number one at this point and repeat viewings these could flip-flop but for now i'm gonna put parasite at number two which was one of the most incredible movies i've seen in a long time uh and despite it being you know kind of dark uh and depressing at times i i wanted to watch it again right away after i finished watching it but uh my number one is it just it had such an incredible it was such an incredible experience seeing it that I just I couldn't not have it at number one. And that's 1917, obviously. That's 1917. Yeah. Which, as I said, I think it's it's helped by the fact that I saw this on a big screen. I mean, you know, well, it's still to come up for you, but uh, you didn't see it on big screen. And look, you've ranked it just as high. So I'm interested to see how it would hold up just watching it on a TV. But it was it was aside from just the 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 technical uh, you know, aspect of it. I thought the story was just so good, and uh, I I I loved everything about the movie. It's probably my favorite. In some ways, I told Jamie, I'm like, in some ways, I think I may have liked it even more than Saving Private Ryan, which says a lot. Well, a lot of reviews came out saying it was easily the best war film since Saving Private Ryan. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was a common opinion. I, I'm, but I'm with you when you say that my top two films could change, and I very nearly changed these, uh, and I w- I could, and I wish both. One of them is in my top 10 films from the 2010s, and the other would be if I had seen this before we did that list. Um, but I've got 1917 at second and Joker first. But mm. again, that could easily change because both just had those experiences of watching a movie and just being absolutely blown away by how brilliant they were. And just again, they stayed with me. And that, you know, as I kind of weirdly said with Marriage Story, maybe not as rewatchable as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I think the difference is is that these two just stay stay with me so much that in 
10 years time I'm going to be saying fuck Joker was a great movie fuck 1917 was a great movie and maybe Marriage Story is kind of going to be one of those ones I'm like well I, I remember it being a good movie but I haven't watched it in 10 years so I'd need to remember it um, mm-hmm. so yeah no um, they're my two and one but I, I could easily have 1917 at number one just maybe if I did see it on a big screen it would be different and mm-hmm. maybe I still will I don't know but um, would you do you think that this out of the three years we've done this how would you rate this compared to 2018 and 2019 yeah, I think that the there there's probably been because there's at least two movies. Each year there seems to be one movie that I'm like, I don't get that at all. There's at least two movies this year that I just didn't get the love for at all. But uh in comparison, I think the these top five movies I have, I think are stronger than some of the number one movies I've had. I mean, a few years ago, uh, outside, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri was the only one that I absolutely loved. And here I've got five movies that I absolutely loved. Yeah, it's um, it is very uh, interesting, isn't it? I think with kind of some of these movies and everything, and what stays with you because um, yeah, last year definitely I remember. You know, obviously I didn't even get through the favorite, yeah. and I mean Roma was fine, but I mean I think kind of you know we joke about subtitles, but um, you know I think Parasite was more entertaining with subtitles, but like I mean I I like The Shape of Water. That still kind of is one of these movies that I'd actually like to go back and watch again. Um. You know, I remember Lady Bird being fine. Um, Call Me By Your Name was fine. What else was up that year? Uh, the Darkest Hour was decent. The Post mm-hmm. was had Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep in it. Yeah. <laughs> what else got nominated? The uh, Three Billboards was brilliant. Um, yeah. Gosh, what else? I feel like I'm missing an obvious one that year. Eh, anyway, whatever. Green Book last I'm year. I'm trying was to great. click back on it. Black Clansman Green was Book great. Was you- that was last year. I could. Yeah, Black Klansman, I think um, last year there was Black Klansman and... Um, oh, Get Out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that was year uh, before. Well, I, I I think I had Black Klansman as my number one last year. But yeah, Get Out was the year before. And then, I mean, some of the ones last year, like, you know, Black Panther and Green Book and Star is Born were like, you know, they're they're fine movies. They're 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 good, but do they really give you that wow factor? And there's so many more movies this year that are just like wow. Now having said that, we have a lot of movies better than Bohemian Rhapsody this year. So even Aww. the Irishman and Little Women, I will take over Bohemian Rhapsody. Boo, boo. Um and oh, Dunk, and Dunk, Dunkirk in twenty eighteen. There we go. And Phantom oh, Thread, the great. one that we're still oh, that from. So good. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, just quickly before we get into our predictions, any other movies from the year that, that stood out for you uh, that um, I guess maybe weren't going to get nominated or just you enjoyed from 2019? Um, there's no way it was ever going to get nominated, but I mean, I absolutely love Shazam so much. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite superhero movie I've seen in years. Uh, I can't really find a, a place where it should have been nominated. But I just thought it was such a fun movie. Uh, as far as for things, are, I'm like, I'm really shocked it didn't get any nominations. Uh, I, I was lucky enough I was able to watch Uncut Gems uh, when I was on the way back from Calgary um, the other day. And or I guess that was the today because you just heard me in Calgary yesterday. But, uh, <laughs> Better quality, though. Uncut, <laughs> Uncut Gems, I don't think I, – I, in some way I had the expectation that this would be like, oh, that movie is so good. How do, It should have won Best Picture. I don't think it was that good. But I think it was a very unique movie, and Adam Sandler gives not just a great dramatic performance. I mean, it's it's completely changing. You don't think you're watching Adam Sandler, and yet you feel like it's the only thing Adam Sandler could have done. Uh, it, it's a totally different type of movie and character 
than I've seen in a movie in a long time. Uh, but, and also kind of fun to watch. Uh, so I really enjoyed that one. And, um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. John Wick Chapter 3, I could still make an argument that the John Wick movie should be best picture material. It's just they're not for some reason. Uh, we've said it many times. This is such a disappointing year. Um, but when we have these best picture nominees and we talked about how animated movies you know, have only been nominated so many times, I don't know how How to Train Your Dragon 3 wasn't nominated. I, mean, I loved all those movies, but in some ways I think How to Train Your Dragon 3 was the best of the trilogy. And if we're going to have an animated movie nominated, I mean, why not that one? I thought it was up in the animated category. But, uh, you know, those are some of the ones that I'm like, OK, even though it got a nomination, I would have argued your know, best picture for Uncut Gems and How to Train Your Dragon, at least above a couple of the movies that are in there. Just scrolling through what we covered last year, um, Captain Marvel was not very good. Um, Shazam was great. I'm with you there. Such, I mean, we ended up doing two reviews on that, didn't we? Because it was sort of, we have to talk about it again. Um, Avengers Endgame was fine. Uh, it was, you know, a good way to con- conclude it. Better than what Star Wars Rise of Skywalker did. Um, I enjoyed Detective Pikachu. I thought that was pretty solid. Aladdin, meh. It was better than The Lion King, which was one <laughs> of the shittest movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Rocket Man was probably the one that I think probably should have gotten more nominations because I think Rocket Man was great. Rocket Man was a really good film. Um, Godzilla was enjoyable on the big screen. Um, mm-hmm. Men in Black International was shit. Toy Story 4 was fine until the ending. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home was fine. Um, and what else did we have? Oh, well, El Camino wasn't on the big screen, but I guess that was pretty good. Terminator Dark Fate, shit. Ugh. Um and the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I? Uh, I just wanted to throw two other movies out there that I, I didn't get a chance to review that uh, I thought were really good. One we sort of mentioned this I think yesterday uh, was Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for a performance, I thought the movie was actually really solid. You know, for. Uh, an Ocean's Eleven style movie. It kind of had a different feel to it. I really enjoyed that one. And Glass. I don't know how Glass got the bad reviews it did. I mean, people were looking for some form of art and it was just entertainment. But that's how you do a crossover movie. You take Split. I don't know if you ever saw Split. Split was just fantastic. Unbreakable, fantastic. And they brought these two movies together. And to me, this felt like the big, exciting, epic movie that all the summer movies turned out to not be. Like, X-Men Dark Phoenix and, uh, you know, um, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home and uh, Men in Black International, all these things. Glass, I feel like if that had been released in the summer after people had been let down with so many other movies, everybody would have loved it because I thought it was a blast. Ne- never seen it, um, but I'd like to because I-, I like M. Night, Shalom, and Amam, and Amam, and So... Yeah, but um, no, yeah, 2019, not a very good year for movies, oh, <laughs> with terrible. a couple of exceptions. But uh, let's get into... Actually, it would be interesting. The Razzie nominations get uh, released a day or so before the Oscars this weekend, so it'll be interesting to see what gets up for those ones. Uh, but let's get to our uh, final our predictions. Uh, now, I believe you won in 2018. I went back and looked at last year. I won 15 to 13 last year. So there are 24 categories. I don't know how many you got in 2018, so I don't know what our, our highest ever is. But we're one and one. So this year we're probably going to tie uh, just to make things interesting. <laughs> so shall we work our way from uh, the shit to the the good or the good to the shit? Yeah, let's start with the uh, short subject, <laughs> animated, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Uh, we'll make people not tune out of this episode until the end. All right, so let's go for live action short. First of all, okay. our nominees this year being Brotherhood, 
Nefta Football Club, The Neighbours Window, Saria, and A Sister, uh, all which are great. Um, I am going to go with A Sister uh, simply because I have one. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to go for The Neighbours Window because I have a neighbour <laughs> and they have a window. So... That is my choice. Um, I have no clue. I like. I could cheat right now and look at the odds, but I will be honest with you and say I have not got that open in front of me. So there you go. Uh, let's go to animated short film. The nominees this year are Decera, Decera in brackets, daughter, hair, love, kit, bull, memorable, and sister. <laughs> Do you want to go first? I think you know what I'm picking. I'm going to go with hair love because I have hair and I also have love. And I'm going with sister because I have one. <laughs> and I, I feel that I've got at least a 50-50 chance now. I love how there's a sister and sister. I wonder if they're related <laughs> in many ways. Was this like the Rogue Rogue Nation Rogue One <laughs> fiasco? <laughs> no, 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 no. You can call yourself a sister, but we get to come out first. <laughs> Uh, best. Let's go with best visual effects. Um, so Avengers: Endgame, The Irishman, The Lion King, nineteen seventeen, or Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. You can go first. We had this debate uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I'm actually going to go with nineteen seventeen on this. I'm going to go for Endgame just because I feel that it needs to win one. I don't. Again, I think we went over this. Uh, has a mm. Marvel movie ever won best visual effects? I don't think it has. So, um, there you go. And my logic, uh, as I mentioned in the episode, is if you actually look at the last decade, they tend to go for the more obscure choices like Ex mm. Machina. And probably give it to Rise of Skywalker. Um, best film editing, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, or Parasite. Um, I'm going to go with Ford v. Ferrari because I think, again, a racing film, not an easy film to make, and I think the way that they edited this together to kind of really bring you that sense of speed and action, I think it worked really, really well. And it may be the only category that, uh, or maybe the sound ones, but uh, not, 4v4 are not looking good for really winning any, but if this, this would be maybe the closest I think it would go to winning one. Can I just say, how does the Irishman end up in here for best editing when everybody, <laughs> even the people who like the movie, say you could cut an hour out of it? Um, I'm going to go with Parasite for this one. Parasite okay. is the editing just creates like this mood about it. Like like so much of the, the the atmosphere is just through the editing. It's just oh, it's just amazing. And I don't see any of these other ones really standing out. Maybe Joker, Ford vs. Ferrari to a different uh, extent. But I think Parasite has just had such a unique feel to it. Costume design, the one that we always look forward to. Irishman, oh, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I think I said it on the uh, episode when we did the review. I'm I'm going to go with Little Women on this. I think that uh, it's kind of an obvious choice, but it's got to win something, right? Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, these sort of period pieces always win because it's like, oh, how look at they crafted a dress. Um, <laughs> so, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. It's a bit old, you know, some good stuff there. But Jojo no, going... Rabbit even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going with Little Women. Uh, makeup and hairstyling, the one we all dream of winning. Oh, boy. Bombshell, Joker, Judy, <laughs> Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, the only one without a one-word title. Ooh. <laughs> and 1917. 
Uh, uh, this one's tough because, I mean, I haven't seen Judy. I haven't seen Bombshell. I don't want to watch Maleficent again. Uh, does Maleficent do any different thing different they didn't do in the first movie? I don't really feel like that and, should be in here. And Jolie's older. They might need more makeup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with 1917 as well. I am going to go with Joker because mm. he wears makeup and you see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, plus, yeah, I haven't seen the others. I mean, Judy I would have watched if it was about Dame Judy Dench, um, but it's not. And Maleficent can get stuffed, so sure. Um, cinematography, I think this is... Do we even need to read out the other ones? I mean, The Irishman, Joker, The Lighthouse, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and yeah. The Winner, 1917. So I think we can both clearly yeah. give that one. Easy win there. Production design, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I know I talked about this on the Parasite review, but I think this is between Parasite and 1917. I have such a hard time deciding here. Um, I'm going to just take a wild stab at and say that 1917 is winning this one too. I'm going to go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just because I think kind of just the way the movie looks and the way it's kind of designed to really make you feel like you're back in what, like the 60s? Um, mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And it, it just it just had such a nice feel to it. So, um, yeah, no, I'm going to go with, with Hollywood uh, there. Uh, let's see, what are we up to now? Uh, sound mixing, Ad Astra, Ford v Ferrari, Joker, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wasn't Ad Astra pretty much hated? Didn't everyone not like that movie? Uh, yeah, I remember being really excited to see it, and then it came out and the reviews were just like, eh, you know, very average. Uh, I don't think it was like a hated movie, but it's funny because I just read this here and I forgot that that movie exists. I'm like, oh, I still haven't seen Ad Astra. Uh, I don't really know anything about it, though. Um, I don't know. What's your pick? Uh, I think it, uh, I, I mean, I think we talked about this one maybe like, the 1917 being in with shocks. I mean, war movies and kind of explosions and stuff. 4v Ferrari again, another potential one too, with the sound. Um, I'm going to go with 1917 for this one. Yeah, and I was saying I think that these two categories will potentially split. Um, so I'm going to go with Ford versus Ferrari on this one, and on sound editing, I'm going to go with 1917. Alrighty, well, I am going to go with, well, just quickly in that one, Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. Um, I'm going to go with 1917 again. I'm going to say it's going to take both. So, okay. All right. Uh, now, original you got song, documentary still, if you didn't know. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've got my list. Um, just, just Okay, okay, fine. <laughs> countdown. <laughs> No, what I'm doing. <laughs> like, if you get to best picture, and then you're like, "Oh, wait, we got documentary as well." Uh, original song, one that I don't think we've talked about at all, <laughs> because no. I've seen two of these movies, and I cannot, for the life of me, remember the Randy Newman song from Toy Story Four. I mean, sure. <laughs> so that's I can't let you throw yourself away from Toy Story Four by Randy Newman. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. Music by Elton John. Lyrics by Bernie Taupin. I think he says his name. I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough. Music and lyrics by Diane Warren. Into the Unknown by Frozen 2. 
by uh, Kristen Anderson, Lopez, and Robert Lopez. At least some Lopez has got nominated this year. Sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> and stand up. To go, go watch her Super Bowl performance. My Lord, is she... Wow. Uh, and, and Shakira, too. Stand up from Harriet. Uh, music and lyrics by Joshua, Brian Campbell, and Cynthia Arivo. I, I think... I mean, the Elton John song has won everything, and it's actually a good song. I do know that song. Uh, and I think Rocketman deserves to win at least something. The only nomination it bloody well got. How did that not even get costume design? God, that was great costume mm. in that movie. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to uh, I'm Going to Love Me Again. I'm going to go with the lesser known movie here and say Stand Up, just because I don't think Cynthia Revo has any shot of winning Best Actress, but she's nominated in the song category, so there may be kind of like, let's throw her a bone here. Plus, every once in a while, they'll give it to like the serious song in a political movie. So I'm going with Stand Up. And you can stand up if it does win it. Uh, best original score, Joker, <laughs> Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Star Wars, The Rise of Easy. Skywalker. Joker. Yeah, Joker. I'm not joking when I say it is Joker. Uh, <laughs> all right, now to Colin's favourite, uh, documentary short subject. In the absence... Oh, boy. Uh, learning to skateboard in a war zone, if you're a girl. Life overtakes me, St. Louis Superman, and walk, run, cha-cha. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl, because I kind of want to see that. Uh, I'm going to go with walk, run, cha-cha, because I kind of want to do that. (laughs) I'm just going to write cha-cha. Or if you're watching Moonraker, (laughs) it could be Chang. Uh, Chang. Best animated feature film, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, Claws or Klaus, I don't know how you say that, Missing Link and Toy Story 4, and thank the Lord the Lion King did not get nominated in this movie because it would have defeated the fucking purpose of that movie as it already did. Um, I'm going to let you go. I think Missing Link won the Golden Globe, but uh, I, I I can't live with myself that I don't pick How to Train Your Dragon because I think that's the best animated series there's been. I know that uh, How to Train Your Dragon... It won for the first movie, I think. Um, it may have won for the second. I know it's won at least once before, but I, I really want to see How to Train a Dragon win. It's amazing to have a Pixar movie and not want to choose it um, because generally if yeah. you've got a Pixar movie, it's going to win. But Toy Story 4, it's just oh, frustrating ending. Uh, I'm going with Missing Link. I'm going with the obvious one to, to sneak ahead of you okay. there. Uh, I don't know if it's about the character from Zelda. And I hope that my nephew doesn't go missing <laughs> and then they make a movie about that. But hey, cool. Um Best uh, adapted. Have I missed? Hang on. Where have I? What have I missed here? Um, you got documentary short subject. We didn't do documentary feature uh, or live action uh, short film. Oh, okay. I've written in the wrong category here on my piece of paper. That's awkward. oh no. We did live action short. We just didn't do documentary short. We didn't. I just I've written I've written my uh, answers wrong here. So let's let me create that. So let's do uh, documentary. <laughs> Feature. Sorry, the the most exciting category here. Uh, American Factory, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, For Sema or Sema, and Honeyland. Uh, the only one of these I actually have heard of and know of is The Cave, so I'm going to go with that one. Okay, I'm going to go with Honeyland because I like honey and I live on land. So. <laughs> That's where I go for it. Um, now, international. It's now international feature film, formerly uh, best foreign language film. Again, Parasite will win this, but uh, Corpus Christi mm-hmm. is a Polish film. Honeyland. There we go. It's a North Macedonian film. There, that's why I went for it because I, I love North Macedonia. Uh, Les Miserables. Didn't they? 
do an American version. Why they've done another version of the Jesus Christ? Get over it. They're French and they're miserable. <laughs> um, and pain and glory, Spanish. Uh, Parasite will win this mo- this category. Yes. <laughs> Which we're again, idiots if we don't pick Parasite. <laughs> it really shouldn't be in this one, but sure. Um, all right, adapted screenplay. The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, The Two Popes. I am going to go with... I would okay, I would love Jojo Rabbit to win this. Um, so Taika Waititi can have won an Oscar. Um, but I'm going to go with Little Women just because I feel it's Little Women and because people love it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want it to um, win, but I'm going to go with it. No. Uh, like, here's the thing. Jojo Rabbit is the strongest screenplay in here by far, but I, I do kind of feel like Little Women will probably win this one. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say Little Women as well. I don't think this right is the Irishman gonna win anything. <laughs> no, let's down. hope not. <laughs> uh, original screenplay: Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, Marriage Story, and fucking Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. Go away. Um, shit, this is difficult. I, oh, see, I'm really on board with Marriage Story winning this. Uh, Parasite, though, is very popular. 1970, this is maybe the trickiest category so far. I'm going to go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, because I think I said that in our episode that, you know, Quentin Tarantino gets a bit of love if he doesn't get director or best picture. This is maybe the next major one he can win. The only other one he can really win, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Hollywood for this one. I think this is really a two-horse race between Marriage Story and Parasite, but I think it's going to be Parasite in the end. Poor Marriage Story might not win anything except for Laura Dern. Um, all right, speaking of Laura Dern, supporting actress, we have Kathy Bates in uh, Richard Jewell, one that we sadly haven't gotten around to yet. Uh, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh. <laughs> Pugue in Little Women <laughs> and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. I don't think we've mentioned Margot Robbie at all, except for Once Put On Hollywood. Love Margot Robbie. Um, you can go first. Yeah, I almost feel dumb for saying this because I'm thinking at this point it's a lock for Laura Dern, but if there is a dark horse, it's going to be Florence Pugh, so uh, I'm going to go with her. Uh, Little Women might actually win more than one award here. Uh, and it's probably the only thing about Little Women I'd like to see win, too. Uh, if this if this happens personal favor would be Laura Dern though two years in a row after my girl Glenn didn't win um like like I I <laughs> want them to advertise the next Jurassic World movie as featuring Academy Award winner Laura Dern as Ellie Sattler returning to the big <laughs> screen so no Laura Dern give her an Oscar she needs an Oscar she's an amazing human being and this is revenge for Glenn Close so there it is um best supporting actor. Tom Hanks, who I just, I feel, no one is talking about the fact that Tom Hanks has received his, like, 800th nomination. I I love Tom Hanks. I'm so yeah. glad that he still gets nomination. I actually wouldn't mind seeing A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I know nothing about Fred Rogers, because I don't think I grew up on him like you guys did over in North America. So I know nothing about him. Um, but I've heard it's good, and Tom Hanks is amazing, so I want to see it. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Yeah, it, <laughs> I still haven't watched the rest of it, but, I mean, he was good in what I saw of it. Um, <laughs> Al Pacino in The Irishman, Joe Pesci in The Irishman, and Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Look, I would, I honestly would love to see Tom Hanks win this just because I would love to have three-time Academy Award winner Tom Hanks. But Brad Pitt's going to win this one. He'll win his first Oscar for yeah. acting because I believe he won a Best Picture Oscar the other year as a producer. 
Did he not win for 12 monkeys? I can't remember. No, he did not. I, I read a thing the other I, day saying that he's only ever won a producing Oscar before. Yeah, I mean, I know he was nominated for 12 monkeys. Maybe in the Golden Globe, because I remember an acceptance speech he gave once. But um, I did say on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like I, I thought his performance was great, but I didn't really see how it was like the best of the year. Uh Personally, I would love to have seen Al Pacino in this one, even though I didn't really care for The Irishman. Uh, but it has to be Brad Pitt. Yeah, I just want to also say, I don't know why Anthony Hopkins is in here. I, I, from what I've seen of The Two Popes, also, I haven't finished it. He's just sort of playing Anthony Hopkins. I guess that's my same complaint about Robert De Niro and Irishman. Um, I saw a lot more out of Jonathan Price in it. But yeah, it's it's okay. But yeah, it has to be Brad Pitt winning this one. I mean, he's the only one in this category that's never won an Oscar. Well, as in an acting Oscar, because Tom Hanks has two. Anthony Hopkins has at least one, maybe two. Al Pacino mm-hmm. surely has got about 800. And Joe Pesci's yeah. won who one, hasn't he? So, um, yeah. Wow. Stacked category. But um, honestly, like, I mean, I've seen four of these five movies and none of them blew me away. I, I think Brad Pitt was fine. Anthony Hopkins was fine. Um, just, yeah. So maybe the Do you know what else is crazy? Categories. What is crazy, Colin? Brad Pitt is well into his 50s now, right? Yes. Yeah. He is by far the youngest nominee in this category. <laughs> <laughs> he is. It's a very old category. <laughs> How old's Tom Hanks now? Oh, he's probably 60, I would think. Maybe yeah. close. 63. Wow. Jeez. Mm-hmm. What a man Tom Hanks is. Like, come on. Like, just. Oh, amazing. Have you ever met a met person that is not like Tom Hanks? No, never. And if you do, it's like Hugh Jackman. Tom Hanks and Hugh Jackman are just the nicest human beings and everybody likes them. So have they been in a movie together? (laughs) No, but let's make it. (laughs) I want to see a a buddy cop film with Tom (laughs) Hanks and Hugh Jackman, all right? When Hugh Jackman's at my wedding in November, I'll make sure he asks. Well, I ask him to do it. Um, Best actress, Cynthia (laughs) Erivo in uh, uh, Harriet. Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, Cerise Ronan in Little Women, Charlize Theron in Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger in Judy. I'll be honest with you here. I would be... I, I mean, I don't know who Cynthia Revo is. I've not seen it. I don't know. Uh, so not to take away from Cynthia, but sorry, I, I don't know who you are. But I like all four of the other one. I, I actually really like Charlize Theron. Um, one of the best performances I've ever seen in Monster. Like, such a great movie and such a great performance. I actually do like Cerise Ronan, even though her movies aren't really my demographic, but I still like her. Scarlett Johansson, I appreciate how well she did in Marriage Story. And I actually have always liked Renee Zellweger. I just haven't seen Judy. Um, But uh, only two people in this category have won Oscars before, and I think that uh, Renee Zellweger will win her second because I think she's kind of one of them all. And this looks like she'll win another Oscar. I just find it weird that Judy seems to be the movie that nobody cares about, but everybody says Renee Zellweger has to win. I don't really hear anybody talking about her performance, but she still seems to be a lock. This is just the typical Oscars thing of if somebody's playing a famous person that we know, like Freddie Mercury or Catherine Hepburn or whoever else it is, we have to give them an Oscar. It's just, it's so annoying to me at this point that it's a guaranteed lock for an Oscar if a very famous person plays another very famous person and does a good impression of them. Uh, I haven't seen Judy. I wouldn't mind watching it. It's just, I know very well she's going to win just because, you know, people know who Judy Garland is. Uh, I, I haven't seen Harry. I actually really want to see Harry first just because Cynthia Revo. I think she's a singer primarily, and she only really started acting the last year. She did two movies in the last year that uh, one... 
uh, was a movie called Widows that uh, had uh, Viola Davis and Liam Neeson in it that I hated the movie but thought Cynthia Erivo was actually really good. And the other one was a movie called Bad Times at the El Royale, another one that nearly made my best of the decade list. And again, she was amazing in it. Uh, so it, it would be cool you know, to see her win an award. But again, she's done like three or four movies at this point. I, I, I think that Scarlett Johansson should win this. Because her performance was so good that we've had me, you, and even Noah, who have all said, like, we're not fans of hers at all, and we loved her performance in that movie. But yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be Renee Zellweger. And I have no problem with Renee Zellweger. I just have a problem with the Oscars always giving the acting nominations to people doing impressions. And you know, if it's an esteemed category to get the credit from, if Noah says that um, she should win. Because, <laughs> you know, he We know that of all the people who know women, Noah's not one of them, so... Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've talked about this one already. Best actor, Antonio Banderas, Painting Gloria, Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver, Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix, Joker, Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. Joaquin Phoenix will win. That will make me very, very happy. But I will say that I am sad that he is up. For, I wish he was up for it like last year or something like that or next year because I really want Adam Driver to win an Oscar. And I also feel Adam Driver would win this if Joaquin Phoenix wasn't in this category. But um, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix will win a very long overdue Oscar because this is his third or fourth nomination. But um, yeah, no, he will win it. Yeah, this isn't even a question. It's Joaquin. <laughs> Joaquin. And I, I, I feel like I, if I ever have a son, Joaquin should be a name to name. Because I like that name, weirdly. So, don't know what it means, but... Not Fleck? Fle- Fleck Waterworth or Joaquin Waterworth. Let's go with Joaquin <laughs> Waterworth. That kid's going like shit kicked out of him at school. Um, <laughs> uh, best director, Martin Scorsese, The Irishman, Todd Phillips, Joker, Sam Mendes, 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. I am going, I said this on our episode, and I am going to back it up by saying that Sam Mendes will win his second best director, Oscar, for the movie 1917. Uh, I'm just going to do both this and best pick at the same time because uh, I think that they go they go together. Not that I actually think it's going to be the same movie winning both, um, but this is going to be one of those split years. And I was really tossing and turning because I think that it's it's basically between 1917 and Parasite. And I'm like, which will they do? Will they give uh, Bong Joon-ho the director in 1917 picture? Or will they give Sam Mendes director and Parasite picture? I think it's going to go Sam Mendes as director and Parasite for picture. Uh, it's more groundbreaking, I guess, to have, you know, the international film win best picture. Uh, but it just feels like that's kind of the way the Oscars have been leading the last couple of years. Like with Moonlight winning, I, I said there was a lot of comparison to Moonlight and Parasite. So yeah, I'm going to say Sam Mendes is winning director, but, but, uh, Parasite's winning picture. Just, uh, we'll go over the pictures quickly. Just to confirm, in case you've missed all our reviews in the last uh, nine or so days, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. I said it on the episode, I'm going to say it again, 1917 is still my pick. I think it's going to do the double. But again, I will say, even though it wasn't personally my favorite and I didn't like it as much as everyone else, it would not surprise me if Parasite was to win Best Picture. I think that it's it's between those two. One of them will win mm-hmm. it. And I think we've... I think, We've had a very similar vibe of this in the last few years. I think uh, I remember 2018, we were both very much, oh, it's Once Upon a Time of Hollywood or, um, oh, not Once Upon a Time of Hollywood. Fucking, what am I talking about? Three billboards of Ebbing, Missouri and The Shape of Water. Uh, and I think we both went for billboards, but obviously The Shape of Water ended up winning mm-hmm. it. So, um, yeah, I look, 
I, th- I think absolutely Parasite could easily win it. But to me, 1917 was the best picture out of these, even though I put Joker at number one, go figure. But for its technical achievements, um, uh, yeah. 1917. Uh, so I think, we, when was the last time we had a, a movie do the double? It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, Sheep Water didn't do it. Oh, no, you're right. Man, two years then, not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Del Toro did it, didn't he? Yes, you're right. So, Well, yeah, um, but I mean, I, just to put in perspective, from 1989 to 1998, every single Best Picture and Best Director was shared. It was only like 89 had the split and then 98 did it. But ever since 1998, it seems like it's an every other year a thing. A, a split. Um, yeah, no, I'm just yeah. looking here. Um, before that year, before Shape of Water, it was Birdman uh, with Alejandro mm-hmm. G. Anaritu and uh, winning Any Best Rito, yeah. Director. Um, and, oh, I forgot that Gravity won Best Director. There you go. That's um, I've not seen Gravity yet. Is it worth seeing Gravity? Oh, yeah. I love Gravity. No, oh, I thought, for some reason, I thought you didn't like Gravity. Weird. Um, no. The Artist did the double in 2011, was that? So there you go. And just I'm just going back to 2010. I'm not doing this for all 83. And The King's Speech. Tom Hooper won Best Director and The King's Speech won Best... The year that Natalie Portman won an Oscar. Oh. Uh, great year. Uh, but there we go, everyone. That is our Oscars wrap for 2020. Incredible to think that. I, I, I really do enjoy this, uh, this series that we do. It's something that I know we talked well back in the day when we did Survivor Oz and we had these grand ideas of doing a, a movie podcast sort of outside of Survivor Oz. And I remember having long conversations with Noah about how this would be a great idea to do it and then talking about it with you. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously come around a lot earlier this year. We generally, I think, were about a month earlier this year than we always are. Um, just quickly, uh, obviously going to be on a Sunday night for you. Last time I'll ever have to watch the Oscars on a Monday. Exciting. There we go. Um, do, do you just take the night off, sit around the couch, put some popcorn on? I know Jamie likes the red carpet arrivals, but uh, anything planned for it? Yeah. No, um, I'm probably going to have to watch it in shifts because we do have a lot of screaming children here uh, yeah, who monopolize the, the TV cupboard. sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be completely caught up, you know, for the first hour. Uh, but yeah, after that, I just sit around watching it, get angry when they give it to movies like Bohemian Rhapsody and get excited when they uh, give it to people like Francis McDormand or Sam Rockwell or whoever else. Well, sadly for me, it's the second year of being in New Zealand and uh, second year of me having to work on the day of it. But I, I remember last year with no promotion at all of where the hell I could watch it, thinking I'm not going to be able to watch it. Last minute, they're like, oh, yeah, we're showing it on a TV channel and you can watch the live stream online. <laughs> so I kind of had it in the background last year at work, and I think I only saw like three categories awarded last year from memory. Uh, but this year, I'm hoping that I will be able to watch more of it. And, um, yeah, I, I'm hoping I can have a nice, easy day at work. There'll be no floods in the region I'm living at the moment. I have to work 12-hour days, <laughs> and it will be nice to be able to uh, to watch it. On my last Monday, I'm looking forward to next year actually experiencing it on a Sunday night when they're actually held. So there you go. Uh, but thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts. What's your pick for best picture, best director? And more importantly, Colin really wants to know what your pick will be for best live-action short. So that's Hilding <laughs> at Canada.com is his email address. Uh, <laughs> Or send him a letter to Colin Hilding, number one, Winnipeg Street, Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> insert weird zip. You have really weird zip codes in Canada. It's like ZXQJ73. 
Sure. Um, but in the Wait, meantime... Now everybody knows my postal <laughs> For the last time, I have to plug this because maybe next episode you'll hear it will be a lot more streamlined. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on all the relevant channels, and make sure that when you do subscribe, you hit us uh, up with a nice review, a glowing review. Five stars would be fantastic. And uh, let us know what you think of everything. And, and outside of our Oscars coverage, we've got some pretty exciting Survivor coverage coming up with Winners at War starting next week, which is so exciting to hear. Australian Survivor, yeah, we're eventually going to do some episodes. It's a little bit hard to uh, catch up with the 800 episodes a week and make sure that we get people on to talk about it, but it'll happen eventually. And our next project for movies, of course, is Canada vs. Australia Month. We're starting off with uh, Canada, I think, in our first episode next week. Colin, tell our listeners a little bit about our first Canadian film that we're going to be watching. Uh, it's going to be the highest grossing Canadian film of all time in the country of Canada, uh, which is a movie called Bon Cop, Bad Cop. It's kind of a buddy cop film, uh, I guess you could say, from 2006. Uh, this is a movie that made the equivalent of, let's say, $100 million. You know, obviously we have much less people living in Canada, but the equivalent of a $100 million gross, almost all of it in one province, which is crazy. And uh, it's gone on to become like a huge favorite in Canada, spawned a sequel. Uh, and Ben has actually seen this already, which is crazy too. So that's going to kick us off. There's subtitles in this movie as well. So, you know. There is uh... some. And, um, of course, that province that you're talking about, um, Labrador. It kicked ass in Labrador. Lots of uh, money <laughs> made there. And also, you mentioned this is the highest-grossing Canadian film in the country of Canada. I can't wait till we get to your second Canadian movie, which I'm sure was the highest-grossing Canadian film in all of Laos. <laughs> what a huge movie it was in Laos. They loved it over there. Massive. Um, so stay tuned for that. And I'm excited to be able to talk about them, and particularly uh, the Australian movie. Because actually, it's funny. This month, only one of them I haven't seen, and that is the Laos movie. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But thanks for tuning in to our Oscars coverage. My name is Ben, and the Oscar goes to Ben. (laughs) And... (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing at myself. (laughs) And my name is Colin, and walk... Run cha-cha. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.